Hello again and welcome along to another episode of the Greenlight Podcast from Active Consent. In this podcast, we explore how consent, sexual violence and relationships are depicted in and shaped by pop culture, from Hollywood to TV shows to the media to celebrities. So today there's two hosts today, so myself, Caroline West, and then I'm joined by Charlotte McIver. Charlotte, how are you today? I'm doing great, Caroline. Looking forward to getting into this deadly well it's pride month so happy pride everybody so we decided for this um very 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 special episode to focus on bisexuality which has had some awesome depictions in pop culture and some not so great depictions in pop culture so we will get into that today and we have the perfect guest for this so today we are talking to l reed buckley who is a final year sociology phd at the University of Limerick, researching bisexualities in post-marriage equality Ireland. Their PhD project is concerned with the spatialised sexual identity negotiations of bisexual plus people, looking at how contexts and locations imprint on individual identities and lived experiences. And outside of academia, they are a community organiser with local and national groups, including Setu, Altar, LK and Trans Limerick Community. So Elle, how are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on, Caroline and Charlotte. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, we're delighted to talk to you because like you definitely know your stuff when it comes to bisexuality. You're doing a PhD in it and also just existing as a person in the world. So you got the academic side and the pop culture side of things. Yeah, I, I do sometimes feel like Ireland's foremost bisexual person. Um but I'm kind of happy to take on that title if it means that conversations like this are happening a bit more because I do feel um, like there, there still hasn't been a national conversation about bisexuality because I feel like oftentimes it's like tagged on in like wider LGBT discussions or just becomes kind of lost in kind of wider um, LGBT politics um, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely for sure. But also please get Arlen's most foremost bisexual person on a t-shirt because that's, yeah, that's awesome. Um, Well, like, as I said, there's so many like positive negative descriptions. I think one that always stands with me and I think I've mentioned on the podcast before is Sex in the City. That was one of my first experiences of bisexuality on screen, but it was really bad. So it was Carrie dating a bi guy and she was like, oh, bisexuality is just a stopover on the way to gay town. And then all the rest of the comments were like pretty negative. And like, I was like, oh, okay. So is it not really a thing? Is it like, is it lesbian or straight? And that's it? Like, you know, judge according to Sex in the City, yeah. So, like, I'm sure there's lots of examples of that really poor description. But can we just say how terrible that was? Because that's, yeah, I'm mad at Sex in the City for that. Yeah, I think it's particularly difficult for bisexual men um, and bisexual women. But for bisexual men, it is always framed as, you know, oh, you're you're just too afraid to come out as actually gay. And then for women, it's always positioned as, you know, oh, you're actually straight, but you're performing for um, the pleasure of men. So in every kind of context, it's always like, it's always bisexual people are only attracted to cis men. And and that's the only option Um, as well. Like my first encounter, funny enough, um, was also kind of really poor. Um, so I just remember like my dad watching Fast and Furious when I was younger. I think it was like Tokyo Drift or something. Um, but when I was trying to find um, like the scene in particular, that was like the first time I saw like two women kissing. 
on TV every and I was like fast and furious like girls kissing scene and I felt like a child again like you know um, <laughs> like being like am I gay <laughs> typing it into Google um but I, re- I realized that like there's so much of that like so-called like girl on girl action across all the fast and furious franchise and it's one of the biggest and longest running franchises I think that's particularly gauged towards men or like teenage boys um and it really does kind of fetishize and and over sexualize um you know bisexual women lesbian women any kind of women loving women out there um and I think that there's that kind of danger in you know over sexualizing um sexualities in a way that you know as this you know podcast is all about is about kind of blurring those kind of lines around what consent actually is and um particularly those kind of um over sexualized stereotypes for bisexual people in in general tend to feed into ideas of people being up for anything that like a bisexual person will never say no um and I think that that's something that I've come across in my research um is that those kind of negative media portrayals um that kind of frame bisexual people as promiscuous have kind of had negative impacts um but on the other hand as well you know I do have kind of you know delineating kind of what is good and what is bad representation I think also can be quite problematic um because also saying that like people aren't sexual or people aren't allowed to be promiscuous people aren't allowed to practice non-monogamy people aren't allowed to explore their sexuality I think it's actually really harmful as well yeah a hundred percent to all that and I, I just on that I suppose in working through a lot of those levels of detail and nuance I want to give a shout out to something that I think you know got it right as you say it's not maybe productive but at least encapsulates all this in two minutes and 30 seconds of pop culture glory and that is our friend Daryl from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Rachel Bloom's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and the song Getting By where he literally calls a meeting in the context of the show and says I'm going to tell you that I'm by and I'm going to tell you that I like both men and women and I'm not actually you know interested in kind of having sex in this way I'm interested in having sex that way and like this is who I am it's not going to change don't try to box me in and not only is that really interesting and, and funny in the way that they do it, the reaction of the coworkers is sort of like, okay, well, like that doesn't change who we think you are. That's great. But it was a really powerful kind of reworking and claiming of all those players and also not putting that character into the box of, oh, you were married to a woman. Now you're really gay. Um, and, and one of the things I think that's so valuable about the way that show takes on these sorts of themes is how neatly and in such a short moment it encapsulates so much depth. Thinking of another recent pop culture example, which has opened all this up again, is one Chriselle Staus from Selling Sunset and her now dating um, the Australian musician G Flip after having broken up with the ultra-masculine Jason Oppenheimer from the O-group Cisgender Man Extraordinaire. Um, So I'm wondering if either of you have a take or any thoughts about that, because it's, you know, again, this sort of interesting moment in terms of the backlash, in terms of the, the way in which she herself on her Instagram is trying to, to think about it as a teachable moment but certainly brings up everything Ellen has, re- Ellen has raised. I suppose I'm I'm not familiar with um, Selling Sunset at all um, but I do watch a lot of dating shows mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm happy to indulge in reality tv and and their kind of discussions of um, bisexuality in a minute if you'd like um, but I think what you said there Charlotte about like um 
about the kind of just stating the bisexuality that there doesn't have to be like a representation of bisexuality because I think that this is sometimes the problem with representations in the media is that there often has to be some sort of like duplicity or mm -hmm. cheating it, the bisexual lighting never does enough like someone has to be like with a man and a woman or like you know different genders than the person than the gender that they identify as themselves to make sure their bisexuality is validated I just think it's it's it there is a lot of um there is one show that I just watched recently that I think does that very perfectly of you know just uh talking about bisexuality and just like naming it and it doesn't require any other you know it doesn't require any other le legitimacy other than just naming it um which is heartstopper the young adult show um and i know that there is a kind of a lot of turmoil that nick goes through in kind of trying to discover like figure out his bisexuality but you know it's just a kind of really quick conversation i think i'm bisexual that's great and it moves along and it was it was horrible that like uh i watched the whole show and not even just on the bisexuality topic the whole way i was like something bad is gonna happen something is you know they, something's gonna happen to someone and it's going to be awful and yes there was like a lot of bullying throughout it but i feel like there was just such open communication and people being honest with each other and people standing up for each other in a way that I hadn't seen before. Um, so I think that that was a really positive representation, particularly for younger people. Um, as you know, we see all the surveys coming out um, and the research coming out around, you know, a lot of younger people are coming out, um, you know, as, you know, sexually fluid, queer, um, adopting no labels and things like that and like actively rejecting heterosexuality. So I think things like that um are, are really really positive um in terms of media consumption um i'm so sorry i can't speak to the seven sunset um charlotte i i haven't gay i haven't ventured into that you're missing yet. out you could be learning about selling <laughs> million dollar houses kind of like the way in which the coming out of someone who's identified as sort of the, the super heteronormative kind of cisgender female and then dating mm. um now uh, a gender queer um, person like has, you know, ignited all, all the kinds of kind of backlash stereotype, as well as then her herself trying to talk into nuance around gender, around sexuality, and, and to say, you know, that this is, this is who I am, this is who I love, you know, but I don't need, you know, your stamp verifying um, who I am. So just as, you know, I guess even in the moment where we can name maybe all kinds of representations that have gotten more complex, you know, these kinds of passion plays kind of seem to flare up just, every, you know, still every so often on social media and so on. There's a great dating show called The By Life. Do you remember that? It was all the way back in 2008 and it's kind of like a Love Island kind of type. Um, and Courtney Act, actually the drag queen was the host of it, but so everyone on it was bi. So they were all like kind of, you know, doing Love Island stuff, but just all bi kind of thing. But it was actually really good because they discussed all the stereotypes around bisexuality and the effect it has on family and friends as well. You know, they're talking about my mum thinks again it's just a stopover on the way to gay town and is always going when are you going to get this out of your system and settle down with a nice boy and it's like that's not how it works you know but like I really love like the visibility of that rather than the bi person as like the token person in in a kind of dating show and they're having that be the only characteristic about them I think 
That's like, you know, you, you're a fan of Love Island or, well, you watch Love Island. I don't know if I would say fan, but um, what do you think about that? Because there have been bi people on Love Island. I will say like, regrettably, like one of the worst things about me is that I'm a Love Island fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, like, you know, like, uh, like not in the sense, like I... I'm a Love Island fan in that like it's like watching a car crash happen like I'll never forget um the first time watching it um which was a suggestion by my colleague and kind of frequent co-author uh, Dr Louise Ryan um in the department of sociology and she was like I think you should watch this because I feel like we would have a lot to say about it as like a team of people and since then that was you know that was um early 2019 and I haven't looked back since I do think that the show is really problematic on a number of levels particularly in terms of like the way um that people are treated on the show and how like they're kind of baited into um lots of really problematic things um and just like you know causing conflict and and hurt for no reason but just to speak on what um what Charlotte just mentioned there about the the public coming out um, a similar thing happened with Curtis Pritchard um, around Love Island in 2019, where a lot of people were kind of making comments about um, his sexuality um, because he had kissed Tommy Fury on the show. Um, and when he gave an exit interview um, after the show, he said, you know, I wouldn't rule anything out. Like, you know, I'm not going to say that I'm straight. I'm not going to say that I'm gay. I'm not going to say that I'm bisexual. But when he did make that comment, like people kept like saying to him, like, why don't you just come out? Why don't you just come out? But then as soon as when he said, I'm like, nothing is off limits, people really did not react well to that. Um, in the same way when Sharon Gafka, who was on the last season of Love Island, you know, came out afterwards and said, all of the conversations that I had about being bisexual were erased. Um, that there, there is kind of always this resistance to the actual genuine expressions of it but you know shows like um uh you know what is the name of the show love is blind um there was a uh two people on that who were kind of coupled up I don't actually remember what the love is blind term is um Carlton and Diamond and when Carlton came out to Diamond saying you know listen I'm bisexual I've had relationships with men immediately it was like high tension high conflict lots of kind of vocal yelling um you know lots of derogatory comments made against Carlton and the assumption was that he was a liar he was going to cheat on her he didn't love her their whole relationship was a sham and there again like speaking to what you mentioned in the beginning um Caroline like this genuine fear of a bisexual man from a lot of you know women who date bisexual men not only that like they're lying and cheating on them but a lot of what you see is like fear of um you know uh catching any like sexual diseases catching any sexual infections that's another thing um that kind of comes up and, and you know this kind of thing that um bisexual people are super spreaders because of their kind of infidelity and so on um another thing with love island around bisexuality i happened very early on in the British show um, with uh, bisexuality or like a lesbian possibility seen as like a plot point. So two women coupled up and it only lasted a day. 
and I think it was um, uh, Katie turned around after the 24 hours and said, oh no, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go back to the man. And this whole idea of like a, a possibility of two women loving each other and being together. Um, Sophie, the other um, person, the couple, like was openly bisexual unfortunately she took her own life after the show as well which again is problems with the show but that whole idea that this kind of possibility of this being something is always kind of shut down um within kind of uh mainstream media um I'm not sure how I feel about the idea of like adding LGBT people into dating shows or the um or the kind of, you know, something like the bi life and things like that, because I think what is a huge problem is that dating shows, because of the connection to social media and kind of free market capitalism and the kind of endless cycle of um, of that kind of consumerism and kind of heterocapitalistic ways of looking at things, I feel like you're just going to reproduce the kind of same things over and over again. So like there will still be kind of a particular way of people looking, a particular way of people kind of relationship configurations with people and that will kind of be centered um so I think it's it's kind of it is kind of a double-edged sword that's like you know you'd love more visibility and representation but at what cost does that come at you know I think it's I think it's quite complicated so on the theme I suppose of deception and bisexuality as a plot point or as a plot pivot I want to talk for a moment um, about a, a kind of, I think, less discussed moment on Michaela Cole's um, I May Destroy You. And we stand this show hard here at Greenlight Podcast. I think it's on like every episode now. <laughs> for this podcast um, and looking back and thinking about the representation of Arabella, the main character's friend Kwame on the show around bisexuality, I have to admit I was given a bit of pause. So for those who haven't seen or who have it or don't remember, um, just to give a bit of a content warning, I will talk about themes of sexual assault here for a moment. Um, both Arabella, the main character, as well as Kwame experience sexual assault over the course of the series. Um, and following Kwame's sexual assault while during a sexual encounter with a man, he decides to try to date women at a certain point on the show. So he goes out on a date with a woman, they end up having consensual sex and she starts saying queer phobic things after they have sex. At which point he comes out to her and tells her that he in fact has only ever slept with men and is the queer man. So that in and of itself is interesting as a moment to discuss, but then what happens next actually is where I want us to think together for a moment. When he goes and tells his friends Arabella and Terry about this, this is following Arabella's two sexual assaults, the second through stealthing, um, through the removal of a condom during sex. And she makes the analogy that him deceiving this woman, this, this the sexual encounter about his sexuality is equivalent to stealthing, is equivalent to deception around identity. And the show doesn't really challenge that. It kind of moves on from it. And then he ends up by the end of the series in a monogamous relationship with a man. So in our own law, like within sexual consent in Ireland, you know, deception about identity is, you know, not considered to be, you know, against consent. However, you know, someone's sexual or romantic history, you know, to me seems to be about your own body, your own, your own story. And that's a very kind of controversial argument. So I would just love your thoughts on this, about this, this question about not only how bisexual individuals are 
fetishized, but in terms of like what level of disclosure people are actually being pushed or if they do not disclose being constructed in certain ways that, that are really problematic, like in that instance. Mm. I think particularly like there's so much research out there and I've even found it in my own work where like bisexual people really struggle to come out and really yeah. struggle to disclose their identities in a lot of ways because they feel that if they say that they are bisexual it's end of it's end game they're not going mm. to be able to proceed with the relationship that can be you know that can be in romantic relationships but it's also happened in in the case of my research with people's friends and with people's family members mm. that people just feel really uncomfortable about it um that it is like as you said charlotte like it's this really controversial um you know subject um and I, I like I feel like it's it's really at, you know people's own level whether they want to disclose you know their intimate partner history I know that there's a lot of ethical conversations about like disclosing HIV status and things like that but whether or not you want to say you know about your identity I think that's a different question particularly because identity is so flexible and malleable you know like I feel like over the course of my PhD which is a short three years I've had a lot of ups and downs around my gender and sexual identity and I don't think it's as clear-cut to to say that and this is another thing that like is really important um, to me I think is that for bisexual politics you know asserting a fixed identity is it feels really you know present and like feels really necessary to like claim space but what I love so much about bisexuality is like that is a fluid kind of thing that can mean a lot of things to people. So I do think like, you know, the exploration of your sexual identity is really important. Um, I think in the kind of increased kind of focus on like language and the politics of language, politics of naming and things like that, it has been really important to kind of include identities that people feel connected to, but they can also be really problematic as well. So you know putting people within boxes can put a lot of pressure on you know the way that they should look the way that they should perform what behaviors they should enact um i mean a lot of the like i didn't just have bisexual participants in my phd either like i had people who identified as gay i had people who identified as mostly straight i had people who identified as half lesbian you know that there's this kind of very reflexive process within how people negotiate their identities um, but I think, you know, on that um, topic of, of I may destroy you and that kind of knee-jerk reaction from the woman in relation to Kwame coming out to her, I think that's a lot to do with, you know, what people think bisexuality is rather than what bisexuality might be, you know, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And people have those stereotypes and that people are greedy or people, like you said, are like more at risk of like transmitting STIs. And it's like, this is just all from, from fear and ignorance. And when we don't talk about this, like people fill the gaps with those stereotypes and everything, which is obviously not great. So it's great to have th this open conversation. But I think, you know, just mentioning um, Kwame there, that you can have a lovely, you know, consensual sexual encounter, and then you can also have a non-consensual encounter with the same person. But, you know, research from Active Consent has shown actually bisexual people are almost a higher risk of sexual violence. So our research found that in 2020, 
26% of asexual, 30% of bisexual, 19% of gay or lesbian, and 21% of heterosexual. 26% of queer or other sexual orientation students reported non-consensual penetration by incapacitation, force, or threat of force. So you can find that report on the consenthub.ie, but 30% of bisexuals, so they were the highest people who reported sexual assault. And that's, you know, it's reflective of, um, there's an American studies as well that are kind of saying the same thing, that 25% of bisexual people had experienced assault compared to 10.7% of heterosexuals. So like, what's going on there? Like, why why are we at such a higher risk of assault? Yeah, no, I think it's there, something that I think is, is quite dangerous and it's something that active consent doesn't do, which I really appreciate. But in a lot of kind of mainstream conversations of consent, sexuality is taken out of the equation. Um, so we don't talk about that kind of nuance that sexuality might bring to that or like, you know, different genders in, in a lot of contexts. Um, I find that in a lot of conversations I've had on institutional levels or even within feminist communities or like just amongst friends, there's often a conversation that like consent is about the relationships between cis heterosexual women and cis heterosexual men. There is so many things that kind of implicate and impact, you know, our relationships, sexuality, gender, race, ethnicity, class, a whole load of different kind of um, things that kind of factor into how we experience the world. And, you know, as you mentioned there, Caroline, from your, your research in active consent, like, you know, there's higher levels of sexual assault, there's higher levels of intimate partner violence, um, there's higher levels of kind of stalking. Um, and this is not just against straight populations, but also kind of lesbian gay populations as well. Um, I do think that like it, like not that the stereotypes are like the cause of it, but like they certainly do factor into that whole conversation. Um, and it's it's quite frightening thinking about, you know, my own personal experiences, but also how frequent it came up in the interviews that I did with participants that people actually felt afraid to go out in public because they felt like being in a space, whether they had a straight male partner or whether they had this is bisexual women I'm just talking about just to clarify if they had a straight male partner or if they had a cis woman partner they felt terrified by by being out as bisexual within those spaces because disclosing that identity meant that people felt like they were up for anything there's a lot of people that would particularly um you know cis bisexual women who had lesbian partners men would often approach them and their partners and say I bet you don't like you haven't tried me though and like or like solicit them for a threesome um you know a lot of women expressed that even if they went to like LGBT specific spaces that because they presented more feminine straight men who would come into those LGBT centered spaces would assume that they were straight girls hanging out with their LGBT friends so would like, you know, try and hit on them, you know, try and grope them, different things like that. Um, and, you know, there is this kind of, you know, conversation of people being like, oh, you know, like to try and get men to get away from them. It's like, oh, I have a boyfriend or, 
you know, I have a girlfriend or something like that. But that's kind of like the get out of jail free card. But that never seemed to work if people said like, oh, like I'm, you know, if someone mentioned that they were bisexual, like everything was like everything was up for grabs. Um, and I think that that's something that feeds into kind of what we were talking about in the beginning that like particularly for women there's a misogyny that underpins that type of reaction um where it just assumes that you know your bisexuality is for the pleasure of other people and it's not for your own self-confidence um and I don't think that there is a huge amount of support or a conversation around that in society um there's a lot of talk that again like always seems to like mediate on heteronormativity and I think given you know the research that's been done that affects like not just people in Ireland but people around the world that the kind of impact of sexuality has on people's like you know interactions with consent and their relationships and so on I think it's like at like epidemic levels really yeah, which is fairly depressing. And even if we, we go back in time, um, if we remember our queen, Britney Spears, and the time that she kissed another queen, uh, Madonna, on stage, and Christina Aguilera was there as well. But like, she got totally left out of the conversation. So Christina is an out bisexual and just awesome. And like, Dirty is like the best song ever. Um, But it was Madonna and Britney kissing that really kind of made the headlines and it was like if you didn't if you weren't there you wouldn't have known Christina was involved as well and it was very much like just done for that male gaze and the shock value and like oh my god she was such a good girl and everything else whereas Christina was like the actual bisexual was just kind of left out of it so it was just like oh we don't want the authentic stuff we just want the like commercialized shock value stuff and it was kind of that's like literally a case of by erasure, like in the, in that nutshell, and also that like heteronormative gaze and things. And like Brittany isn't bi, well, she hasn't come out as bi. She's always said she's straight, as far as I know. Um, Madonna, I'm not sure about, but it just felt very much like uh, like another example of like yeah, they're greedy bisexual, and oh my god, it's like their whole identity now, like and and just rather than just like hey, like Christina doesn't make that big a deal of it. She's by, yeah, so what? Like she moves on with her life. Like it's not the only thing that defines her, but yeah, media representations on that level. I mean, when we have that viewpoint of erasure and like giddiness about it, it's like how on earth do we even get to talk about like the lack of consent and so many things? It feels like that's like a conversation a million miles down the road away from like, oh my God, they kissed. Oh my God, oh my God, you know? Mm -hmm. absolutely and I think that something that came up a lot in my interviews as well was that whole idea of like celebrity representations of um bisexuality so even as you said there that like the you know quote-unquote true bisexual um Christina Aguilera wasn't figured it still goes back to like what what can we get on the front cover of like this on or some other shitty tabloid um a lot of people said that they felt like for a really long time that they put off coming out because they felt like bisexuality or being bisexual was something only celebrities or like rock stars could do. So a lot of people would talk about, you know, um, David Bowie or Lady Gaga and how like they saw that they were kind of out as bisexual. But like it was just kind of something that made them a little bit different like not that it was like a valid identity 
that part is, you know, the valid identity is always kind of shoved down for like the the big kicker story. So like, you know, like what kind of gay or lesbian relationship did you have? We don't want to talk about you actually loving and caring about someone. Um, so like even when people like found it really like they really struggle to name bisexual people that they looked up to or like bisexual icons like on a global level but on an Irish level it was almost impossible for people to name anyone they like it like most people were like I've no idea who's bisexual in public um the only person that really kind of came up a couple of times was the um Gwailgore poet Kieran EA who is so amazing her work is amazing if anyone is listening or if either of you have not like heard her work she's fantastic um and the fact that there isn't anyone even that like has any who isn't like open um within kind of Irish society as bisexual I think just goes to show how further away we are from that too you know um it's all well and I mean it's all well and good to have like a gay t-shirt or a gay tonishta but you know when we can't like open up our kind of cultural social imagination to think about people having different sexual identities or different gender identities I think we're we're at like this very kind of not primitive primitive is the wrong word but like kind of underdeveloped um understanding of like people's real complex nuanced sexual and gender lives really so to make a connection and to, I suppose, uh, shout outs to middle-aged ladies like myself, um, two iconic, you know, would we, and I think this is actually the crux of the matter, would we actually label either of these women um, bisexual? Um, I'm thinking about Glennon Doyle, who is now married to U.S. soccer star and most iconic lesbian of all time, Abby Wambach, um, you know, and her kind of runaway success of her book Untamed and her podcast, where they're the kind of long extended conversations about their romance sexuality, gender in general, and in Glennon, in having been married to a man for the first part of her life, now married to Abby, you know, very much identifying as queer, very visible within the LGBTIQ plus community, but, you know, having, talking at length about discomfort over terms and terminologies, you know, is it that she was straight then and she's gay now, well, she's like, well, I'm gay, I'm queer, but, you know, I don't want to shut down the possibilities on all sides of my life, although I'm, I'm in a committed marriage now. And recently they had on Elizabeth Gilbert, who is somebody who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. She wrote a book called Committed about the institution of marriage. Um, you know, it's not uncomplicated in, in her own kind of worldview and, and the way in which she talks about um, spirituality and so on. But her third marriage was to her best friend, Rhea, who was a woman, and then went on to have relationships with uh, a relationship with a man after that, and now is not doing romantic relationships. But I think what's interesting about that two examples in the middle age thing as well is that we're seeing, I think, a generational shift, I hope, or I think, or maybe beginning to open up in terms of the more open identification around sexuality over a lifetime, right? Um, and this is something that the Clinton and Abby talk about at length in terms of Abby's um, different journey with her sexuality over her own lifetime. And I know in your research, Al, like you are specifically looking at the post-marriage referendum kind of moment and generation and, and teaching these young folks and kind of seeing the kind of, you know, I think there was a moment a year or two ago where like everything is solved now, the young activists in my room were saying, and now having a more complicated view of things. I would just love to hear your thoughts on, on what has been the impact on um, bisexual communities, individuals, 
kind of in the immediate aftermath and now post-marriage referendum. Mm. I suppose like to say just first off, like I think I was always pissed off about like, like I think like I cry, like I wasn't out as well, like when marriage equality was happening. I didn't come out until the year after. So I think for me, like marriage equality was a really big thing in me kind of feeling comfortable. Um, but also what facilitated that was me moving to New York and hanging out with a lot of um, very out and proud um, queer folks. Um, but I think like in the kind of immediate aftermath of marriage equality, I felt like I was also getting more like radicalized in my politics. So like retrospectively, like I was becoming quite critical of this, you know, it was very easy for me at the time to adopt like an ally persona because I was so uncomfortable in myself and, and coming out, it allowed me to be close to the campaign without actually being someone who could talk about, you know, the possibilities of, you know, multiple attractions and so on. Um, but I think there was a purposeful decision by the yes, equality folks to not include bisexuality because the whole um crux of the value-based campaign which like my PhD kind of criticizes in a lot of ways um is that you know you need to have ideas around who your messengers are so that's respectable gays and lesbians David Norris Catherine's poem it's very nice to have like well-educated middle-class people who are white and settled and moneyed to give your message um, people who are like me with like a fade and loads of tattoos and piercings who are like I'm bisexual apparently frighten Middle Ireland <laughs> in quotation marks um, not to say that every bisexual person looks like me I think that's incorrect to say but there is this kind of an idea of like bisexual people that is instilled within Ireland that, you know, um, it's all these kind of wacky, radical left-wingers um, and that doesn't fit into the, you know, overall narrative that marriage policy is going for. Um, like, I mean, there has been, like, there was reports done around civil partnership, um, like the Collie Report and things like that, that talked about, um, not just about marriage, but about, like, the rights of cohabitants the, and, and things like that, that we marriage equality which isn't even equality you know like there's still so much to be done like people still don't have access to their partner's pensions like there's a lot of things within that that like marriage equality is a sham for a lot of reasons but we haven't actually expanded our understanding of relationships and and what that might mean and like getting out of you know what marriage really is is about property rights and you know um, I, I might go on my big anti-capitalist rant and put on my renters union hat for a minute but you know if we're we're still going to um, you know reinsert kind of the same kind of narratives the same kind of discourses about what's a good relationship what is a good identity like who deserves rights and who doesn't like this is kind of the same things that were were happening during marriage equality and repeal as well because they was limited because they people felt like they had to to win a campaign now the discourse is after the kind of results of marriage equality about ireland being truly a nation of equals is really nice for the back cover of a book blurb on how the yes was won it doesn't actually reflect the way that Ireland works. And particularly like what was quite upsetting 
in a lot of um of the interviews that I had was people were like oh yeah like I voted for marriage equality but like it wasn't for me or I didn't feel included in this campaign because it wasn't about me it was about gay men and lesbians um and there's a lot of kind of conversations that I've had with people like people who are like you know sympathetic to bisexual people um who say well like what like if we only can like thinking about like what are bisexual rights but if we only think about you know achieving legal rights as like a means to liberation I think we really box ourselves into again like consistently replicating like hegemonic ideas of who is deserving and who is not um you know for me I think the the biggest problem after marriage equality was you know in multiple reports that have been going on like not just in the immediate aftermath of marriage equality but before that you have people saying we want greater bisexual inclusion we want greater um you know bisexual representation we want more bisexual visibility i haven't seen any of those things enacted like in a, on a government level and like this is in the national lgbti strategy for young people and for the general population there is no i've i've not seen this single thing and as i said in the beginning i'm ireland's foremost bisexual i should know about this um so like i i haven't seen a single thing i haven't seen a single effort um done by the government and um i did participate in some of the focus groups for the national lgbti strategy and in the one in limerick i was the only person there who wanted to work on bisexual um like issues and this is not to say that bisexual people do not have feelings or needs because it's in my PhD and, and there's a lot of things that people want. But I do feel like a huge problem that is still there is that people who identify as bisexual feel like they can't go into LGBT spaces because a lot of people feel like, oh, people will think I'm straight. I don't have a, I'm not in the same sex relationship, so I don't deserve to be in that space. I'm not out, so I, I can't participate. I've never named my bisexuality to anyone. So, you know, I'm not going to go into a space that is for people who are more deserving than me and so on. And there's this consistent, because bisexual people have literally consistently learned their place within Irish society, whether that's in wider straight worlds or LGBT communities, they've learned to self-exclude themselves. And that's not to say that they don't um they, they like they don't experience direct exclusion from lgbt communities but i think something that has kind of been replicated in consistent erasure is that people have learned well it's not my place so i'm not going to get involved um so it's the the onus is kind of like on everyone and no one at the same time there's a consistent feedback loop because of it's the structural issue i think um, so it ends up replicating both internally and externally. I think on that, I mean, two things come to mind. One, you know, you can imagine how for folks who identify as bisexual, perhaps it's like that fear of, of having, you know, oh, but if I'm in a straight relationship, am I taking up, do I have privilege? Am I taking up space? Sure. But then on the darker, even darker side of that, it comes back to this idea of the life narrative and that someone's life narrative has to be consistent in terms of the kind of trajectory in terms of where we identify or who our relationships are with, which is you're 100% right about property rights at the end of the day and is about replacing or substituting heteronormativity and homonormativity, right, in terms of that 
kind of trajectory. And as you were speaking about all that, I found myself thinking, you know, about our core definition of consent as ongoing, mutual, and freely given for all relationships, all genders, and all sexualities. And really at the center of these kind of discussions about bisexuality that we're having is regardless for any of us, whether we're heterosexual, bisexual, whether we're, you know, regardless of the gender, the person that we're with, our choice to choose relationships and sexuality, it's ongoing, it's mutual, and it's freely given. And if we do not center bisexual voices and perspectives in the conversation, like we can never actually live up to that definition as a society, but it's a real blind spot. And I think that's why, you know, the kind of Kwame example from I May Destroy You, the most celebrated drama, and rightfully so for its intersectional positions on sexual assault. And, and everything else can still even have indeed have that that blind spot um but we need to keep amplifying your voice and, and the voice of other you know to to get that that conversation back to that truly inclusive consent as you know omfg we might get there hopefully sooner rather than later like you said Elle, there's so much work to be done and it's really great that yeah people do think well we have equal marriage everything's fine now and you know it's really great to kind of smash that and then just be like no 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 there is actually quite a lot still um left to be done but you are doing a lot of that work Ireland's foremost uh, bisexual where can people find you if they want to follow along with what you're doing or get involved or just uh, look at the awesome stuff that you post on twitter or wherever you post sure uh so uh ereed buckley is my uh twitter account if people want to follow me there um i also run a queer discussion group called alter lk it's primarily based in limerick but people are welcome to join we do online meetups primarily but we also do in-person stuff so we've done a queer walking tour of limerick we're also going to be um doing a tour of the lsad um uh, uh, degree show, sorry, it's just completely blank there, um, uh, on queer artists and things like that, um, if anyone wants to get um, involved in that. Um, and uh, yeah, I have some, some fun publications coming out, hopefully in the near future, um, including um, some poetry in Almanac, um, a journal of queer and trans poetics that is edited by Shia Condon. So if anyone wants to read on that, you can follow them on Instagram at Almanac Press. Fantastic. You're a busy bee. Well, quite literally a busy bee in, in many spellings <laughs> yeah, of that word. Yeah. Um, fabulous. Brilliant. That, it's I mean, so great to talk to you today. And it, it's really great to, you know, dive in to buy in pop culture and Oh, maybe we'll just make our own bisexual pop culture show. I think, yeah, that can be our next project and it can be the best one yeah. ever. So fabulous. Um, and Charlotte, where can people find us if they want to follow along with the kind of work that we're doing? So you can follow us at Active Consent on Instagram and Twitter or come over and see all that Active Consent has to offer at www.consenthub.ie fantastic fantastic so thanks email to everyone for listening happy pride stay safe have a look at all the organizations that exist in your area because there are tons such as the ones that l has outlined today and you know you're never alone there's always a community out there whether it's by or whatever identity you have going on and um, there's people out there you can find your tribe so thanks email for listening and we'll chat to you next time